everyone, and welcome to yet another round of Otaku Ryoho, the podcast where we grab like some complicated topics that we usually have trouble talking about, and we use anime to illustrate that discussion. And I'm accompanied by my co host, Jose Cardona. Hello. And today we're joined by a very special guest and friend of the podcast, Link. Yo, what's up? Woo-woo. Here I am on another Geek Therapy Network podcast. <laughs> That's right. You can't keep me out. Tell us about yourself, Link. I am a big nerd. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I am a PhD student studying media psychology. I am just starting my dissertation stuff right now, uh, so I don't want to talk about it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I am. Um, I love anime and I love otaku ryoho, and so I am excited to be a part of this episode. We're equally excited, if not more. Speak so, for, fix for yourself. I'm more. <laughs> You're more excited. I'm just more, yeah. I'm just okay. more. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay. So, hmm. last episode, mm-hmm. we were talking about. Um, I forgot. What were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. I can't. I can't think straight. This is the problem. Okay. Um, we were talking about by. Bi- oh, was it the biological urges? No, the comedy one. Yep. I'm going to edit yep. all of this out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so last episode, we were talking about uh, comedy and anime. And throughout the discussion, Josue, you mentioned uh, Oran High School Host Club. Yep. And yep. you mentioned how y- there was a non-binary character in mm-hmm. Oran High School Host Club. Yep. And it really got me thinking about the way gender is represented in anime and like gender diversity in anime. Mm-hmm. And so... I think this discussion can is, is I have way too much research on this for this particular <laughs> episode and I'm scared like either this episode is going to be like 7 days long or perhaps <laughs> like uh not everything's going to get discussed but maybe the way maybe I I would have started this, this this discussion is through personal talking about my own personal story with with gender and exploring those themes. And when I was growing up, I was brought up in a very traditional Catholic household. And because of that, I was, okay, sorry. So as I was growing up, I was a a kid who was very um, not gender conforming in in a masculine way, right? Um, I'm somebody who who loved studying, did not love sports, who tried to resolve most situations uh, in the most peaceful way possible, was non-aggressive, non-conflictive, right? And growing up, that was something that eventually f- people judged me for, it, or I felt judged for it, right? Because I didn't feel I fit in with my mm, other boys in my, in my class, and over time, as I was sort of like brought up in this Catholic household, I began to to develop this sort of like homophobic and sort of transphobic sort of views growing up because I didn't know otherwise. And I had like this sort of like reaction formation sort of 
um, reaction where because I couldn't understand that I was not particularly gender conforming, I became overly critical of people who were like that, right? I became um, angry at people who who did not conform to to maleness in a sort of like, I recognize it in other people, but I don't recognize it in myself. And I think when I started to sort of put these concepts of gender on, uh, analyze them and actually observe them as cultural constructs, it was through my interactions with anime. And the reason I, I, I sort of bring it up is because as I was growing up, I started watching one of my favorite shonen, for example, and perhaps the only shonen that I've watched from beginning to end was um, Yu Yu Hakusho. And in Yu Yu Hakusho, I've always valued characters who are smart and uh, solve their problems through intellect. And that character in Yu Yu Hakusho is Kurama, which is a character that is very... is very feminine in the way he he acts in the way he his main weapon is a is a rose whip of thorns right and a lot of his actions are like put on a backdrop of like rosy imagery which was not usually associated with with being male right and another sort of like character i bonded with like as i was growing up going back to my eternal example of Fruits Basket was Yuki. And one thing I noticed in anime is that the most popular guy in school in anime was almost always the guy who was a bit more demure, the sort of guy who was a bit, uh, who was smarter, not necessarily the American stereotype of the most popular guy at school, which was the, the usual like jock stereotype, right? And then growing up with these sort of like cognitive dissonance of why is the most popular guy at school the by who's most valued sort of the guy who embodies a sort of more feminine ideal from my point of view it sort of got me to question what is masculinity and why do i ascribe these these sort of values for it when in anime i noticed that characters who portrayed themselves in a more feminine way were viewed as masculine within the anime and I sort of wanted to to explore just the depth and the diversity of like gender representation in in anime. We have characters who are non-binary, characters who are trans, and a lot of characters who are gender fluid or like they defy the norms of gender in very interesting ways. And I wanted to get sort of like an idea of what that experience has been for both of you, and and if there's any examples that sort of come to mind when when you talk about gender and anime I'll, I'll add one layer onto what you were saying which is which is very specific to to our stories which is growing up in puerto rico mm-hmm. the and i'll try to not make any generalizations about puerto rico as a as mm-hmm. in general I'll, I'll just stick to the to the media um uh, to generalization perhaps about the media in Puerto Rico, but it was so uh, chauvinist. It was so like there were women in bikinis presenting on every single show. It was mm-hmm. very, it felt so far behind American television 
when you're watching um, TV in Puerto Rico, it was very, very strange. Like there was, that was always one of the strangest things for me. Like everything had a, like, <laughs> they look like anime characters, the women that were on TV in Puerto yeah. Rico, <laughs> ironically. <laughs> yeah. And many of them were half naked and they were, and they were treated like objects in all of these shows. Mm-hmm. And, and that was just pervasive in, in, in television in Puerto Rico and local television in Puerto Rico. And then, We've talked in the past about uh, a Get in the Robot video, rest in peace, Get in the Robot, um, <laughs> on how I think it's called uh, Why Anime in Latin America Was Different and Better. Mm-hmm. And so we were getting simultaneously while we had this like really, really um, like messed up TV right? <laughs> on a regular basis locally, we were also getting anime before the states were that was uncensored in many ways and in spanish mm-hmm. and it was i can just imagine the polar opposites that you were seeing john mm-hmm. right like and if you yeah. had cable if you had cable tv then you were getting american channels which was like somewhere in between mm-hmm. right but you had those polar opposites where it was American tv like why do we like it just it just that's just the way women were portrayed and treated and then and then yeah. anime, which was just so different, right? Like just so, mm-hmm. so different from everything we were told on a daily basis yes. in, um, in, in Puerto Rico. So uh, I think, you know, I, I'm curious if you, if you agree that that was a part of it too, part of you, your experience. No, definitely. I definitely, definitely agree. And a lot of the media was completely and utterly heteronormative um, yeah. to, to a very extreme degree. And as I started watching Fruits Basket, there were these characters that... And it identifies as a boy, but wants to wear a girl's uniform to school. And the the story beats usually go as to validating their their ideas, validating their wishes, and saying that it's okay to be different. And then having being exposed to these stories definitely had an impact on me growing up. And it sort of deviated me from what I see could have been another path of of sort of like holding to these heteronormative ideals that I was brought up with. No, no. Anybody brought any examples or anything or, or have any personal histories as well? Uh, I do, I guess, contextually, I'm guesting on this episode because I am non-binary. And so that is where my extra perspective is coming from. Yes. Um, I do also want to say I didn't I didn't grow up on anime so much. I watched, you know, some Pokemon episodes and maybe caught a Sailor Moon here and there, but I didn't really get into anime until very end of high school and after that. Mm-hmm. Um and then more recently ha- have gotten very deep into <laughs> just so much anime. Um but that is what you guys are talking about. That is a really interesting aspect is sort of looking at this comparison point of seeing the way that gender and sexuality is treated in a culture that isn't our own, but we are getting to consume some of their media, even mm-hmm. though it is, you know, translated. And so there is a lens through which we are seeing it. it. It is really interesting to see how that can be just like the little seed of being like, oh, the way that it is around me isn't necessarily the way that it is. It's like, it can be a little bit different. Now, I mean, personally, um, I do appreciate about a lot of anime is that they have a lot of gender nonconforming characters. 
um, or just gender fluid presentation in general. Um, However, there are also a lot of examples of these characters being played as more of a joke. Mm -hmm. And so it's sort of this in-between place where it's like the representation is really good to see. But when you're playing it always as the like punchline, that kind of sucks. But it's like I'd rather have it than not have it. You know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. like, mm. Yeah, like as a kid, one of the shows in Puerto Rico that you could watch in Spanish was Ranma. And it's like, well, that's not necessarily a great example mm-hmm. of, of um, depends on how you look at it. We could look at it in different ways, yeah, but that I've, is very I've much been, a, a I've been rewatching yeah. uh, Ranma one half recently. I, well, I guess it's not really rewatching. I read the manga in high school. It was probably one of the first manga I got into, which now, after coming out as non-binary, oh, so makes so much sense it's it's completely recontextualized a lot of things about my whole life uh but i decided i was like oh you know i've never really watched the show i'll check it out and it's brought it all back to me i'm like oh shit yeah okay this this does explain a lot um but yes also well (laughs) uh my my feelings towards gender and and bodies and wanting desperately like magic to exist that you just poof different body type that's Mm -hmm. that's awesome that's dope as hell uh (laughs) uh and why why i fixated that as a kid on that as a kid or a a teen is like at the time i was like oh it's just like a cool idea and then i got a little older i'm like well it's because you're a flaming bisexual and you like the idea of like oh you can kiss a girl and a boy but it's the same person so it's cool and then the next step was like oh no no i want to (laughs) be i want to be boy and girl and change it anytime i want that sounds dope uh but yeah definitely watching it more recently is like there, there are a lot of really questionable aspects in there, and they're not necessarily uh, super kind towards their female characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still, it's still kind of a fun show, and it's one of those things where it's like, I don't think that Ranma identifies as non-binary or trans because he sees it as like a curse upon him. Mm-hmm. But I definitely project like a non-binary identity onto him. I mean, so. you you could definitely say that Rama is a cisgendered man that turns into a transgendered man. Yeah, that's that's like the the magical aspect of Rama that he gets to inhabit both roles, and that plays into the story. Yeah, it does depend on his point of view, right? Like if mm-hmm. he's, if. Hundred episodes in, I don't remember if he still sees it as a curse or if he's, you know, come yeah. around on it and sees it as a blessing or uses it as a superpower or what. But a lot of it is also out of his control. Mm-hmm. It's other, you know, it's like this thing can happen, which then causes a transformation. It's not necessarily he can choose that, but other people can also just inflict it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ranma. Interesting. I was watching Ramna when I was like. Like a baby, like I don't. Like, I want to know the history of who put that on Puerto Rico, uh, Puerto Rican television. Who? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this is fun for kids, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also like so opposite to anything, um, or maybe maybe it was very much seen. Like in Puerto Rico, it was very common still till I don't know till till when, but till very recently for like 
the comedy of of men dressed up as women for the sake of comedy, right? Like mm-hmm. these are these are wild characters, and they're just basically caricatures of women by men and it's extremely popular you know it's like mm-hmm. now followed by bikini babes and you know cooking or whatever or whatever else is on uh, puerto rico television i don't know that it's gotten that much better but i haven't watched anything in a long time i think we still rely on on uh dressing up as women as a joke mm-hmm. yeah I, I think i still seen those examples yep um to a lesser degree yeah. um I agree. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I think the relationship, you know, with anime gender is very complex. Like, there's like some examples that you find interesting, some that you find great examples, and some examples that you find like highly problematic. And I think something that you said earlier, uh, Link, that you know sometimes it's better to have bad representation because then you can talk about it as opposed to just having nothing at all. But I think talking about these sort of representations is the first step towards believing that we we can have these things be normal and we can have these representations as a just like a normal part of all media. And so I wanted yeah. to go through different examples and maybe to sort of structure this a bit more, we could start by you know what non-binary characters or okay sorry let's go first like with the the least uh the most heteronormative to the least heteronormative i think we can get to like the most the more interesting and sort of non-binary or like gender fluid or complicated examples later in the episode and first i wanted to sort of discuss if you had any, any of you had any characters that were gender non-conforming, like not conforming to gender norms, but still identifying with their, with the gender they were assigned at birth. Are there uh, any characters? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think Utena from Revolutionary Girl Utena fits as that because she's gender non-conforming in that she wears boys' clothes and she does boys' activities. Mm-hmm heavy quotation marks um but she she still identifies with you know as as a girl hmm. i also found um momiji which was the one i was mentioning earlier from fruits basket he's the rabbit in the zodiac curse and he's a character who identifies as a boy but likes to wear uh, girls uniforms there's a whole the, his character arc in the beginning of the series is about you know him being allowed to wear these things in school and people like the main character sort of taking him in and telling him you know it's if you want to wear a girl's uniform you can totally do it and there shouldn't be any judgment about that so i found that sort of representation very interesting and and this is something i was watching growing up where i was not exposed where you know the these concerns about gender weren't as mainstream as they are now and i find it very interesting that we have these examples like ranma like fruits basket like oran high school which are actually pretty old like they're 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 like classic animes that were already dealing with these topics early on before mm-hmm. they were mainstream in the united states um do do you have any examples Josue? 
It's I okay. believe the two sailor scouts that I'm thinking of are Neptune and Uranus. That um, in the American version were pretty edited out. Like they're they're uh, they're cousins. They're, yeah, they're cousins. But um, in the original anime, they are very much um, they are very they're, much a couple. They're lesbians, Harold. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And so and so and like the the Sailor Scouts were very I don't know, like very femme presenting, right? They're very they're they're they they look feminine. There's nothing even the most tomboyish of them is still like in a sailor outfit in a short skirt, right? None of them are like in pants or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And when uh, I don't know, they're like the seventh and eighth s- scouts that appear. I don't know. They're they're like further down the line <laughs> mm-hmm. in the list of scouts as they appear. I was I was very surprised to 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 learn that also from getting the robot because i did not when because i watched the american (laughs) the american like viz dubs on um on tv when i was a kid i think that's that's part of it like we we had mentioned before something that's interesting about anime is also that as it's translated to uh more american audiences sometimes that queer context is erased and it was more so in the past right i mean mm -hmm. i think that's not happening as much now or if at all I think there's still examples. Um, <laughs> so that the example. Ava example is what you're yes. talking about. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That, that's the Ava example. I wasn't thinking about that one, but yeah, that's that. That's one of the look, most contemporary look, ones. Yeah. You are worthy of my grace. Okay. <laughs> but it's more like the Japanese original script. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. That was that's a, that's a very clear um, apparent mm-hmm. example. That one doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, None, some of these I think like I I understand what you were trying to do. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like you were trying to erase the gay, but on that one I'm like, but what? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was. That, I mean, that one just feels like somebody was like, I think that this is the gayer version, and somebody's like, yeah, okay, and then they posted it, and everybody else is like, I don't know if that is gayer. Are you yeah, sure? Yeah. <laughs> and it's the not mo- like it's not like you can erase the gay where the whole scene happens, you know, as they're bathing naked and and like shinji's like blushing like there's there's absolutely no way to erase it you just just, like you just look more shady as you're trying to hide it (laughs) you just like cut the frame in half and stretch it so there's like 15 (laughs) feet between them it's not gay it's fine y'all it's not gay yeah i was fine with the dub but now like as time goes on every time i hear nerve i just oh i just just oh i can't i can't bugs me so much Plus, you see the movies, right? Like the 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 new movie versions. Mm-hmm. It's like they just go all in. Like Cowder is like, yeah, it's 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 a beautiful romance. <laughs> yeah. The the sad thing is that ironically, I like the the new dub, the Netflix dub voice actors a lot. I really like the the personality that they 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 bring to the characters, and I just wish the script was wasn't changed to that degree yeah um okay another episode (laughs) do we have any other uh sort of like non-conforming characters that we can think of because i know there's a lot in anime um off off the top of my head um i think ed from cowboy bebop would Mm. count as a gender non-conforming character but now that i think about like does Ed ever explicitly 
express any gender maybe maybe mm. that's more an agender situation mm. yeah um and then from uh Gurin Logan there's Liron who is very femme presenting very much the the effeminate gay man type but he does have a line at some point where he says I'm kind of a boy I'm kind of a girl I'm just what I am. Mm-hmm. And so I I always read into that as like Leron basically being all like, are you still talking about the fucking gender binary in this economy? <laughs> like, no. Mm-mm. Yeah. We do not have time for that. <laughs> okay, so I I I think Josue also mentioned one in the in our last episode. It was uh in a silent voice. And this is like a common trope in anime where there's this uh, female character that dresses like a boy, acts like a boy, and then sort of characters find out later on that, you know, oh, you're actually a girl, but um, they express themselves in a very masculine manner. And I think that's something we often see in an anime where it's like, oh, you act this way, but then there's like the true gender reveal moment where they're like, oh, so you're this. Right. And that's problematic in some aspects, but in other aspects, it also shows just how different Uh, just because you are a woman doesn't mean that you have to act like a woman. There's there's you can act like a man. You can have completely all the aspects of the male gender in your behavior and the way you dress, but still identify as a woman. And I find that sort of representation to be interesting for that sort of discussion. Yeah, it's it's a trope that I don't. Yeah, that is it is interesting um, mm-hmm. to me. I, I like. I want to study it more. I want to know more. I want to understand it better. Um, in in Oran High School Host Club, that's kind of what happens at the beginning. There's this character, and then by the end of the episode, everyone's like, oh, "It's a girl. It's not a boy." It's like, mm-hmm. "Oh, wait a minute. We didn't know." And like, part of the the whole show is the fact that some people think that that they're a boy. Some people think that they're a girl. And, and yeah, but, uh, it comes up a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in the case of a silent voice, it was just like, there's, there is no narrative reason for it that I can think of. Mm-hmm. Right. It was just, it was the main character's little sister and they, they thought she was a boy. And then I was like, oh no, she's a girl. It's like, oh, and then that was it. There was like, there's no, I don't understand why there was no reason in the story for it that i could that i could see maybe in the manga mm-hmm. it was something that was just um you know skimmed over for the movie but yeah i mean that's i think that's a positive aspect of the movie that fact that you can have these sort of characters without having to have a a story that justifies why they're this way right if you can just have trans characters in your story and not be like you know when i was growing up i wanted to be a boy no i'm just a trans character in the story i think it's yeah. a positive for representation it's I mean, it's nice to have representation that's not specifically trans coming out stories because mm-hmm. those are the ones that tend to get focused on, right? Because mm-hmm. that's the the reveal part. Mm-hmm. Um But yeah, I definitely like seeing characters that it's either, you know, just mentioned and then never comes up again or it's sort of vaguely alluded to and then it's like it's not it, that's not important. Like we're we're doing plot now. It's like it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, one that comes to mind is um, Aluka from uh, 
Elka Zoldik from Hunter x Hunter um, is is uh, Kilwa's younger sister, youngest sister. Mm-hmm. And they introduce this character and um, another family member says something about him and Kilwa's like, she's my sister and shut up. I'm taking her. And then they never mention it again. And it's sort of this implication that, you know, you know uh, she is a trans girl. She's still a child. And, and mm-hmm. that, that in and of itself is sort of nice representation. And, you know, it doesn't always have to be adults. Yeah. Um, but then they don't focus on it as though it is the most important thing about her character because it's it's not. She's like a super duper powerful, like nightmare wish granting <laughs> genie girl. <laughs> and and honestly, like maybe that she was born a boy is like the least interesting thing about her. And so having it just be this like thing and then like, okay, keep going is like it's really cool. She's she is a very cool character, and her relationship with Kilwa is is fantastic. And yeah, that's definitely good rep in my book. Yeah, the character in a silent voice. It's just like I don't think I don't think the character is trying to present in any way mm-hmm. at all. It's just they make it about the adults' confusion, mm-hmm. and I don't know if they're trying to make it a joke or if they're what they're trying to do. Right, mm-hmm. but it's just something that happens, and then. It's like okay, yeah. well now, now he knows that it's the sister and not the brother, mm-hmm. and then and that was it, right? Like there wasn't. Yeah, I think it was. It, it just, wasn't even about the character. It was about the people around the character and their yeah. interpretation. Because like the older sister knew that it was it, that was her sister, her mm-hmm. mom knew that it was her daughter, right? And there was nothing. There was never. The girl never got a chance to be like, no, but I, I'm really a boy, or, or it doesn't matter to me. Like there was no commentary on behalf of her. It was all reaction. Yeah, I think part of the the reason this character was made in this way and, and you had like the adult reactions around that character was because they wanted to establish that although this character was the, the main female character's little sister, it was a very resilient, sort of tough boyish character that had learned to deal with a lot of life's, you know, like struggles in a very boyish way, sort of like pushing people away or or being very aggressive or being very defensive. Um, and I think that's part of, like, the character creation. It's not, like, a really central part. Their, their gender presentation isn't as much a central part as the fact that the way, the way she faces life is in a very boyish manner, if, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that made that makes sense. I mean, that's that's sort of like that's sort of that's sort of the pickle mm-hmm. we're in here is that in media it's like is really hard to make a distinction between gender identity and gender presentation because mm-hmm. it is a visual medium. We are seeing it um with our eyes and a lot of times characters you know they're people don't walk around in their internal monologue being like oh here i am having my trans thoughts (laughs) um and so it's like how how do you incorporate these stories without making it the main focus or 
or you know the only thing about that character that matters it's it's a whole thing and then you know like you're talking about it's just having a character that you know presents typically masculine or presents completely androgynous within you know whatever the world exists as you know everybody's wearing the same space suit mm-hmm. um and stuff like that it's like we have to recognize that we are projecting our own ideas about gender onto these characters. Yeah. Um, maybe just as much as the, the designers who make them do. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting, especially given that extra wrinkle of like, we are what we are not Japanese watching Japanese animation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't think we'd focus so much on that one character. Yeah. But, but what you said about like, oh, well, you want to represent certain qualities. So to represent that, we need to represent them in a male form, mm-hmm. even if we don't talk about them, because that represents some sort of resilience and strength. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, like, really? Like, I guess it does communicate. Ironically, that movie has like the, like the villain of the, of the show, like the most aggressive person is a woman mm-hmm. in the show. Yeah. And, I mean, in that movie. So it's like, I, I don't, yeah. yeah, I don't necessarily agree with your with your uh, analysis of it. I think, but I don't. I, I didn't write it. Yeah, I think the the writing is very heteronormative because even if the main the main quote unquote villain is a girl and she's aggressive, she's aggressive in very like, uh, in very normatively female ways. The type of person like oh, women spread rumors. Women like talk about you behind your back that sort of sort of heteronormative idea of like women have a certain ways of being aggressive while men have other ways of being aggressive and i think like the i definitely the writing plays with the concept of a girl that acts like a boy but in doing so it sort of reinforces sort of normative heteronormative sort of ideas or binary reinforces the binary because it sort of says like notice the difference between how what she is and how she acts which is interesting i think it's a very complex or uh, subject to to sort of really pry apart we don't even remember that character's name yeah it's like it's so like (laughs) (laughs) we keep referring to like the little sister yeah (laughs) we don't do that much research anyways anyways (laughs) so um i think part of like the most difficult to grapple representations I found in anime have been with trans characters. And I really wanted to know if I have two particular examples. No, uh, sorry, three. Two which I find I really struggle talking about. And one of which I I really appreciate. Do do any of you have any examples of like trans characters that you guys have found? Um, I watched Steins Gate mm. for the first time um, earlier this year, and that has a trans character, a trans woman, and um, not to get too deep into the plot, but there is a, a time travel, time manipulation aspect to it, and through manipulating time, they um, make this trans woman into a cis woman, mm-hmm. and then as the plot continues, realize that they have to undo all of the time changes that we made in order to save one character. And so basically get to a situation where you go up to this 
cis woman and basically you have to be like, hey, um, in order to save this other person, you have to give up being who you are and go back to being uh, a trans woman who you live as a woman and people mostly treat you as a woman, but you are in a lot of pain because of, you know, the way that you've been treated Mm -hmm. for that. And, And she ends up you know, choosing to to go back and not be who she really is, which I think is a commendable act in that context. But the way that they introduce the character is really like transphobic feeling where it's like every time they show her, um, she's a, a, a temple priestess Mm -hmm. temple something she's she works at a temple she's beautiful everybody's like wow look at her she's a man and then like oh character like eyes to the the crotchal region like ooh, you know what's under there oh and it's like real icky and gross Mm. and um especially because in the beginning a lot of it is coming from the main character who we're supposed to be like connecting with and it's like that's yucky but um it ends up being a lot more complex than that and there ends up being some positive aspects to it so for me is it's like the mm-hmm. same thing that happens in a lot of anime where it's like the queer representation is like i'm like yay <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is like part of it is great and part of it is ouch but you know what i will i will take it i guess yeah. <laughs> Um, but it sounds like a plot device in that show, like the whole situation, right? It is. It is yeah. one of several parts, but yes, yeah. it ends up being mm-hmm. a plot aspect. We had a similar sort of plot line in in Sabrina, like the Sabrina series, where we had a a trans man have the ability to sort of have magically changed their biological sex. And they do, but it has consequences, so they have to go back. Um, I don't know. I wonder sort of like how that plays into sort of like trans representation. Like having these characters, sometimes it feels like it's exploiting sort of like the transness in a sort of way that it's like, oh, let's, let's see the tragedy in this character that gets what they want, but then eventually has to lose it because it's sort of like the natural order of something, right? And it feels, I don't know, it's its complicated for me to talk about it because I don't understand. I feel like I'm not adequately equipped to make that sort of an, a, analysis. Um, I had a few trans characters that I was thinking of as I was sort of researching for this um discussion one of them the first one is as always fruits basket so i'm going to go very quickly through it so not all my examples are fruits basket but um there's this character that's whose name is ritsu and she's the the monkey in the zodiac right and this is a character that is characterized by you know always being apologetic to a, a comical degree right so She's somebody who who says, oh, how are you? And then we'll say like, oh, my God, I said you. That's so informal. Now I'm going to like commit seppuku or something, you know, like it's, it's sort of that comical degree. But this is a person that's trans female. 
And so I found it very interesting that in the original series that I watched growing up, um, her plot line revolved around the idea that um, she always felt like a woman because she could not fulfill the male gender norms that their parents expected of her, right? So eventually it comes to this sort of conclusion of saying like, it's okay to uh, dress and act like a female because you're weak and you're not like a man. It's okay to be that way. And that's like a very complicated and, and uh, difficult to, it's, it's definitely problematic. What's interesting is that in the most recent uh, adaptation, they completely sort of, they kept the character and most of the story beats, but they didn't add that concept of like, oh, it's okay if you, you know, you, you act female because you're weak as a male. Instead, most of that character's plot uh, line revolves around them overcoming depression because they because she often felt that their parents she had to apologize for the way she presented right so every time um it her parents own a hot springs uh hotel and so every time like visitors came by and they noticed that there was like a quote unquote man dressed up as a woman their parents felt the need to apologize for her behavior and she felt the need to apologize for her behavior. And she developed this sort of like extremely apologetic stance where she has to always apologize for being herself. And uh, by the end of the plot line, like the main character is like, you know what? You don't have to apologize for being yourself. It's okay to be yourself. Like you don't have to constantly be in this, in this sort of like, apologetic state people have to accept you for who you are and i think that's a very interesting shift in writing which i found very it's i found interesting i think there's still strides that they can go through to sort of add to that character especially because that character has almost no effect on the larger plot like i think i've seen i've seen her in two episodes and the first was the episode where she has that whole plot line and then it's just like cameo appearances i wish that character had more exposure um and i could guess why that character hasn't had that much exposure in the anime perhaps like they didn't plan for for developing that character further i just wish they they did but yeah that's one example i had of a trans female character and i sent i sent y'all a a few articles about a representation of a trans character in in tokyo ghoul did any of you get to read that article i want to ask something because uh i haven't i haven't finished watching fruits basket and mm-hmm. I don't remember the old one, um, other than the tears that it mm-hmm. that it made me cry. Um, but I'm looking at the wiki on Ritsu's character, mm-hmm. and it always re- always refers to Ritsu as male. And then it says here, and and this is this is interesting because I mm-hmm. think it it has something to do with Kino um, that I I'd like to touch on briefly later also, mm-hmm. which is uh, in according to this wiki, yes, Ritsu is male, but finds comfort in dressing in women's clothing, which is not the same as being trans like you can be 
um, you can identify as male and enjoy women's clothing. And it says here that like, towards the end of the series, um, because that's something that uh, he does for comfort, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like begins to like do that less and dress male. And like again, I don't know, I don't know the context. I'm just reading from from the wiki here. So I'm curious if in like in what you're seeing is Ritu referred to as female or as male? Because you refer to to Ritu as as a she. I think that's a, a very interesting part of contention, even within the fan base, because. Um, I don't know if it was the translation. Uh, the pronouns she uses are all female within the, the Japanese uh, anime. Interesting. And in the American anime, she uses female pronouns as well. But it's more like she uses female pronouns, but recognizes she's a man. So it feels like um, it, it might be like this sort of transition point in between accepting that you're fully trans or it might be that uh, Ritsu is simply trans- transvestite, right? Simply like likes to um, appear as the opposite gender, but not necessarily identifies as as it. I think you can interpret it in both ways, and there's been people who debate who debate in one way towards one way or the other. Yeah, I mean that that could go a whole bunch of different directions. Yeah. I mean, without having insight into like the character's own thinking about yeah, you know, gender presentation and gender identity and what all of that means is like we can only sort of guess at it and project our own feelings towards it. Because to me, it's like, oh, that's just non-binary. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's oh, it doesn't care if you use uh, which pronouns you use, but mostly uses she. Is like okay, that's. Yeah, that, I relate to that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> right, yeah. right. And, and again, and I bring that up because when in the research for this, we were talking about Kino's journey and the character of Kino. And I watched the entire um, 2017 series. I started watching the 2003 series mm-hmm. and I started reading the manga. Mm-hmm. And I can't... Um, gender has come up very little um, th- throughout all of that. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. but the creator, like the writer refers to Kino as female. Mm-hmm. So I was like, mm-hmm. huh, right? So it's it's that broader discussion, mm-hmm. right? Like um there's so every everybody has an opinion about it. <laughs> and, and I mean, you know, second to asking the character, I, you know, I go to the creators to see what they were thinking when they wrote the character. Mm-hmm. Although, I mean, that's also something that we could, you know, uh discuss, but uh I, yeah, so so that's why that's why everything you were saying, I was like, this wiki, which again is just a wiki. Um written by people <laughs> uh it's like well this doesn't match up mm-hmm. interesting yeah. i think i wonder when when you were talking about kino's journey if i find it very fascinating how you said like you can go to like the author to find out like a, a character's gender but you can even also like debate that per se because, I mean, people do, yeah. is my point. <laughs> because, I mean, like, maybe it an author's conception is of gender is completely like biological sex, right? And maybe an author is just saying, like, oh, she's a she because she's genetically XX. But when you actually read into the character and the character says, like, I don't want to be associated with boys or girls or anything in between, it makes you feel like maybe th- the identifying the character is not on like maybe the author is not the one who gets to decide what what gender representation a character is, but then I wouldn't know who, right? <laughs> <laughs> Again, that's a that's a larger 
uh, yeah, converse, conversation, right? Whether whether the author yeah. <laughs> can make decisions about their own creation. I mm-hmm. I, I, I tend well, to think and and yeah. and just the the framing of you know if the author wasn't intending to really have a conversation about gender, but we as viewers are mm-hmm. framing our thoughts around gender and gender presentation. Like obviously, those aren't going to totally meet up. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also, yeah, also, and I, I love, I love that you said like, oh, that just sounds non-binary, right? Like these decisions, you don't have to decide either, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can just be like, I don't know, I don't know, yeah, just, yeah. I don't want to choose. It's not. It's like okay, it's cool. not an outside <laughs> influence's sort of like prerogative to decide somebody's gender presentation or gender. It's like, yeah, yeah. and and I mean, like. Like I said before, is like if we don't have particular insight into this character's own thinking about this stuff, it's it's just our thing. So I mean, it could be anything from like Kino is is non-binary, or it could be like Kino just really really likes to present as male mm-hmm. to other people, but is very much female and just likes male clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be that. Uh, we are gendering the clothes in a world that actually it's not gendered. And those are just base clothes Mm -hmm. and, you know, stuff like that is like, it all, it all comes down to these like moving platforms of, of, you know, what even gender is. If if you're focusing on the binary, Mm -hmm. if you are, you know, talking about presentation versus identity um, Mm -hmm. versus how people perceive you, like all of that stuff is, is, is wiggly. It's gooey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even I think just the fact that we that we're looking for an answer to that is, I mean, is that is this? I'm not sure if this is the right way to put it, but I feel like that's just part of the conditioning of the of, of the binary mindset, right? Which is like, well, mm-hmm. no, well you got to choose something. You can't, yeah. you can't just be, you got to choose one, <laughs> yes, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Although at the same absolutely. time, that's that is also part of the the heteronormativity, right? Yeah. Is like yeah. you have to choose. You got to choose a side. You can't. Do I though? There, there's, yeah. there's not. You, you are either this or this. You are either this or this. Yeah. Check a box. Like, <laughs> um. No, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, and now to a more um, controversial uh, character. Oh snap! So I I mentioned uh, Tokyo Ghoul. I I sent you you all some some sort of reviews, I, I would say, like an article on a specific character in Tokyo Ghoul. I have not seen Tokyo Ghoul. Like, this is a, a, a disclaimer I'm saying beforehand. Not even the live-action Netflix movie? No, I haven't seen any of them. American adaptation? No? No. Neither have I. Okay. <laughs> did, did any of you Me get either. to reading that article? I think that I did scroll through that article. Mm-hmm. I did not. So uh, let me see if I can, uh, hopefully, Link, you can help me if I, if I miss anything. But um, so there's this character in Tokyo Ghoul that has been a point of contention um, for some people on the internet, either because they celebrate this character as a, as a trans female character representation or because it's a problematic representation of a trans female character. And uh, I, I just wanted to talk about it because I feel because Tokyo Ghoul is so mainstream, it would be remiss if we don't talk about at least mention this this particular character. So Toru, which is the character, is a, a transgender man, right? And 
when we first meet him, um, he he presents as a male. We're not. It's not a reveal that is given to us at, at that particular moment when we meet him. But it just so happens that there's this main villain who goes around eating women's uh, abdomens, torsos. Sorry, torsos. That's like the main villain sort of like thing. He's like this creepy dude who likes to enact uh, cannibalism on specifically women's torsos. And uh, that character attacks um, Toru and in doing so exposes exposes Toru's torso to reveal that Toru has boobs and therefore is a female torso. Therefore, Toru is a woman, and he feels entitled to then uh, devour, uh, attempt to devour his torso, right? Because it's like, oh, I revealed this secret part of you that you've kept mm. secret all this time. I now get to sort of devour it. And so Toru fights against that, and it, it's shown as something that Toru disagrees with and I think in the end Toru sort of defeats him but the way this character's sort of gender was used against him and and the way his body was used against him in the article the the writer talks about how it, it's just a a it's just an example of how trans people's bodies are used for shock value in in anime Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say it's also just another part of the the time old tradition of making your villains queer, queer coded, outright queer. Um, it definitely fits with that <laughs> as well. But yeah, that's that's tough. Yeah, because Toru actually turns into a real intro mm-hmm. villain later on. I think. Yeah, mm. and there's this thing where. Toru becomes a villain, becomes a jandere, which is like a, a, it's a trope where a female character is so in love with a male character that she does like creepy, like murderous things in order to get him. And so it sort of feels like they're using a trope usually used on women and apply it to this like transgender Mm. male character. And there's a point where this transgender male character has uh, necrophilic sex with a male corpse. And then the male character says, oh, I'm almost embarrassingly female, suggesting that there's not a division between sexual preference and gender gender identity, Mm. right? He says, I'm embarrassingly female because I like guys. And you can't be like a homosexual... um, transgender mm. male which is yet another uh, sort of problematic aspect to this character's yeah. representation i mean i want to just for argument's sake um be devil's advocate and i i was wondering link you're somebody who definitely is very into like the mm-hmm. horror genre Right. And how horror is meant to sort of um, talk about things that make us uncomfortable and Mm -hmm. expose them. 
right? And we can we can certainly say that maybe this sort of character arc where the the main villain torso um, uh, exposes um, uh, Toru's chest, uh, revealing their their sex, uh, their biological sex. Um, as a representation of the very valid transgender fear of having their body fe fetishized or having their body being mm -hmm. identified um, and being like exploited because of that. Um, in that sense, would in using that angle, would would it be seen as a positive representation in the context of horror that is supposed to show us things that make us uncomfortable and, and sort of um, get us to grips with that. I mean, I would have, I would have to watch the show because I think, I think mm -hmm. there's a lot of factors about how that comes across. And of course it's going to, you know, different people are going to take things different ways. So you can't make it perfect, but there's definitely ways that you can touch on the idea of specifically trans body horror and and have it not mm -hmm. be inherently transphobic but yeah <laughs> it is kind of hard to pull off mm -hmm. especially if it's by people who aren't themselves trans um yeah or that haven't like done like consulted mm -hmm. with yeah. trans people in their writing process yeah it's um it's one of those things. It, it would also depend on, you know, when, when you're talking about an anime and, and film studies in general is like, how is the, the camera treating the things that are happening on screen? You know, it's it's mm -hmm. there, there is a difference between trying to show something as um, horrifying as an invasion of personal space versus horrifying because like, look how disgusting that is. Right. And and mm -hmm. so yes. all of that stuff sort of adds into it. Um, and again, mm -hmm. it's it's Japanese, so it's like the I'm I would be watching it through a translation, so that it's hard to catch, you know, tiny details that have more meaning in that context than how you know I'm perceiving it. Um, yeah. But yeah, it sounds kind of cringe if I'm being honest. <laughs> yeah, I think. Uh, one of the my favorite representations of trans people in anime is actually an anime about being trans, and I I started watching it as research for this episode, and it's this anime called Wandering Sun, and it's a very cheesy, cute sort of, uh, it's a very cute anime about kids growing up and getting to terms with their own transness. And these are like mid middle school kids. And about, I think one fourth, like, sorry, about like one third or almost half of the, of the cast is actually trans. So it's all about these kids sort of like getting together over the fact that they both, they all struggle with gender. There, there's trans characters, there's non-binary characters, there's cis characters, and I think all of them, I really like the way they're represented, and I really like the way, this is an anime that says, okay, let's talk about being trans, right? This isn't an anime like we were talking about earlier, where, you know, we would like to have these representations without that being mm -hmm. the main plot line. 
but I think it's also valuable to show you know, an anime that is about going Absolutely. through Absolutely. I don't want to come across as like the, you know, trans stories are like mm-hmm. inherently problematic. It's just, I want there to be so many examples of trans characters that we have both the, that character is explicitly about their coming out story, but then we have, you know, three, four other examples where it's just like, oh, they just happen to be trans. It's not a big deal. Um, I, I am very excited to check out, um, Wandering Sun because yeah. that that sounds totally up my alley. Yeah, and there's a difference between the story being <laughs> like the transition, right, and like their life and their experiences yeah. versus mm-hmm. a story of the week, like one episode where that was just the story, and then you move on. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Also, exactly. you know, the distinction between having um, a whole bunch of trans characters in one space and telling yeah. different stories within there versus having mostly cis characters and then the one trans character right. comes up and then we tell the trans story and then they disappear and we never have to talk about it again. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's a it's a very great, cute anime. If you ever need to just like, I need something that'll make me happy, oh, you can oh, watch so that I anime. Gotta check that out. Um, um I think it's about time we we start closing up. Um, does anybody have any examples before we we sort of wrap this up? Any I quick think we, mentions? We covered all of the the ones that I had put on my list. Yeah, I think awesome. um, just an, another thing from the Oren um, High School Host Club mm-hmm. is like a, a, something that I'm 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 just learning about, which is Yaoi or the or, or boy love. Um, stuff and it was it was interesting to see these two i don't know like it, it by all accounts um and this goes be, beyond gender but right that they're like they seem heteronormative boys but they're very very gay towards each other but they're also brothers just so like i think i think that once mm-hmm. you start looking at gender in general in in way more anime than we could possibly ever watch. Like it's 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 all over the place. It's everywhere, right? Like there's there's so much mm-hmm. to it, um, and so many different different versions of it. And I think it's really special the way anime does that. Perhaps it has a wider spectrum <laughs> with more points that are that mm-hmm. are shown throughout the media than I feel is available, at least in like Western animation, right? Which is probably something that we're more for sure. Familiar. <laughs> you, you think? I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> Holy boy! Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. When I was on on our honeymoon, we walked into a manga store, and then we found out that particular manga store was a completely. It was a huge manga store. I would say it's like a a border mm-hmm. sized nice. manga store, and it was all yeah. queer manga, like yaoi yeah. and like. Uh, lesbian heck yeah so it was it was a very interesting yeah. experience yeah. and i'll echo what you said at the beginning it was it was refreshing as a kid to see that to see that things could be presented differently right that the that mm-hmm. the boys could be pretty and they could still be the uh, the hero or the center of attention and they could still like have girlfriends or boyfriends mm-hmm. or everything right still like anything boys. was possible it felt like anything was possible mm-hmm. in anime and that was very different from yeah. from what we were seeing in other places nah. thank you anime <laughs> well now i think i think thank you anime um <laughs> i think now's the time for for us to decide what are we gonna talk about on yep. our next so episode. okay so so what i'm choosing for next one i kind of cheated I, I i made this decision before um 
because uh, <laughs> the, the whole idea is that we'll choose like in the middle of the episode, right? But uh, the when we were exploring Kino, right, which we did, really didn't talk about a lot, I started thinking about this thing that anime does, which really doesn't happen in uh, other and like in I don't I don't I don't know that this happens in any other country's media. It definitely doesn't happen like in in Western media that we're familiar with, mm-hmm. which is the like the retelling. So when um when I I had two choices to watch Utena, I could watch the series or I could watch the recap movie. I was like, <laughs> well, I don't have time, mm-hmm. so I'm gonna watch the movie. Right when I got into Gundam a couple months ago, mm-hmm. I was like, hmm, do I want to go back and watch the entire uh, show from the '70s again? Or do I just watch the compilation movies? And there I chose like, no, I want to watch mm-hmm. the, I want to watch the series. Some things like I love Escaflone. I bought the series and then I bought the movie when it came out. And sometimes I'm like, well, I only have 90 minutes, <laughs> so let me watch the movie. Um, but then you also have things like Full Metal Alchemist, which released, and then I think like four years later they just did the whole series over again because they had all the reference. But and it's yeah. like you've got two full anime of the same show by the same animation co- it's not even like really different <laughs> let's not even talk about like Ava. well but exactly right it's like ava's like oh we're gonna retell ava <laughs> in four movies right from the original series and and then there's like i can debate about the ending right but right, whether that's a retelling or not that's but a choose your choose your own ending i think ending. they both happen simultaneously yeah. i've said this before i'll say it again yeah mm. um <laughs> <laughs> but this is something that's like so common in anime right it's like oh my favorite series i hope it gets a compilation movie you know so more people can watch it in theaters yeah. and then like with with so that idea right um i think in andrici radio we've mm-hmm. touched the idea of like the do-over or doing things over again as narrative but here i'm talking yes. about like creatively um this idea that yes. you can go ahead and like <laughs> retell a story. Obviously, Fruits Basket, you get to talk about Fruits Basket. Um, it's a, a very <laughs> yeah, similar situation. Like the, the manga's not done, but let's make an anime. Once it's done, we'll, we'll do it again. And with Kino, it's the same thing. Yeah. With Kino, there is, it was a light novel, and then it was made into an anime in 2003, remade into an anime mm-hmm. in 2017, and then... Um, uh, and now it, it's being the novel is being serialized into a manga, so it's like. But yeah. you're just retelling the same stories over again, and the art style is very different from the old series and the new series. Like I don't. A live action. Well, so I don't even. I'm, I don't even want to touch uh, live action adaptations. But now that you bring it up, now that you bring it up, I, mean, I want to stick to anime because they're definitely the live action an- adaptations. That's something that's more Western. That's something that is very Western. <sighs> um, Mm, no, no, I would completely disagree. No, but with that but statement. it is though. Like you get. Have, like, you, have you seen the JoJo movie? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, there's a live action JoJo movie. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Boy, howdy. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean that in Western in, in Western <laughs> like, media, this is something that does happen though. You're like, oh, there's we got a He Man cartoon. Let's make a He Man movie. That's Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, let's make a movie. Like you know, like we there's a, there's a, and there are yeah. reasons for that that are very different than the reasons like the reason to make something look real like the fantasy aspect can we pull it off is very different than let's just like try again let's do this anime again let's do it a little differently um so and and the differences between those stories that's that's my choice and also you mentioned the live action stuff i mentioned before uh, an american Mm -hmm. adaptation of tokyo ghoul i was mistaken i was referring to the death note netflix american adaptation i mixed that up Ah. and i want to (laughs) there is a live action tokyo ghoul though because i i have it um 
but it's not it's not American and Netflix. And last week or like two weeks ago, I said Demon Slayer, Demon Hunter instead of Demon Slayer. I'm just I just want to correct all my anime mm-hmm. mistakes. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean I mentioned live action adaptations because it, Death Note specifically. There's the there's their American live action adaptation, but the Japanese one I have it on Blu-ray, and I freaking love the Japanese live action adaptation, and it takes the story in a completely different direction, to a certain point of the of the of the story of the actual uh, manga and anime, and I think the reimagining of that story really, really brings okay. it in for me. Yeah, yeah. So so. I'm definitely fine, gonna fine, bring it out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like all the big yeah. anime get mm-hmm. get. Um, there's Netflix did mm-hmm. actually, um, I think, produce or pay for the the Full Metal Alchemist uh, live action version. But that is still mm-hmm. Japanese, and there's Attack on Titan, and there's like every big one you can imagine um, has has uh, a lot of them do anyway. Um, yeah, so that's my topic for next week. Sound good? Okay. Yeah, okay. that sounds amazing. Okay. okay, I have I have examples. Okay. Um, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Otaku Ryoho. Link, thank you so, so much for being here. Your, your input was mm-hmm. vital and thank amazing. Thank you so much for inviting me. It. it was fantastic to record with you guys. I'm yeah. going to go watch some anime now. Great. Oh, yeah. Anime. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and if any of you want to contact us, please do so on the Twitter, on the Discord, or on the forums at geektherapy.forums.com. Uh, geek-therapy.com slash discord. And Twitter, at geektherapy. Yeah. And if you want to see any more episodes, just go to otaku.geektherapy.com and you can see more of our episodes. Thank you so much for listening and we hope to we hope you keep listening to us next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>